Stop! You violated the law. It's the full preview podcast. UFC 292. Alright guys, let's do this. I know it's Friday, sorry again for being late, but this is the full preview podcast. We have a good one, it's UFC 292, Sterling versus O'Malley. A lot of people not excited about this one. I think this one is pretty alright. We have two title fights. Um, some people might be disappointed about this title fight in Bantamweight that used to be like our darling division and now we have two two guys that we don't like. I mean, some of you probably like either of these guys, but you know, you know some of us don't. i uh, not a fan of either of these guys, but uh, I acknowledge they are very good. Uh, this should be a fun fight, especially if O'Malley can get some stuff going on. We'll get into that later, obviously. But I don't know, man. It's it's good. The, the pay-per-view looks alright. I always say the pay-per-view looks alright because I don't I don't pay a lot of money for them. <laughs> I probably feel different if I paid like fifty bucks or something. I'm not sure how much pay-per-view costs in the U.S. Probably, uh, I get told like they are like a hundred bucks or something. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just rambling. Let's just get into the fights already because we are late, and I just want you guys to get the analysis going. The opening fight is a women's flyweight fight about a rematch between Marina Moroz and Karin Silva. These girls fought uh, way back in 2013. But let's get into the analysis. Let's get up into Marina first. Marina is a lanky boxer who attacks with a 1-2 varying target. She goes head, she goes body, she goes body head, right hand to the body, inverse. She she makes uh, good stuff varying the targets. She likes to move on the outside and accumulate volume there. Not a lot of head movement, but she can lean back and look for a wide left hook on the counter. She's aggressive in the clinch, throwing hooks to the head and body, but she can be susceptible to collar ties, especially against the stronger foes. She can grind against the cage and look to drag her opponent down. And she is deceivingly strong from those positions, especially because she looks super wiry, but she's pretty strong. Good top control and aggressive with ground and pound from top full guard. Uh, she postures up and uses her long lifts to her advantage to land good ground and pound from those positions. She's a submission threat from bottom and top, especially the armbar from guard has been her go-to a weapon for a lot of fights. Uh, the lack of variety and consistent entries to the clinch are, I would say, are her biggest flaws. And on the other hand, we have Karini Silva, athletic and confident, keeps busy at range with jabs, front kicks, and leg kicks, carries decent power, especially when she finds the mark with the overhand right that is like her money punch on the feet. Decent chain wrestler from range can mix the single and the double. And even like drop for half guard entries to get to the fight to the ground. She's a very good grappler. Heavy ground and pound and, vers and versatile submission threat. Especially dangerous with the front headlock and the leg attack. So look out for leg locks and guillotine dart strokes, that kind of stuff. She she can be controlled from top position though. Especially if you have like good enough pressure. And uh, despite being like technically decent on the feet, uh, she really lacks process and uh, her defense isn't anything remarkable. 
Uh, surprisingly enough, this is a rematch, as I said. Both ladies way met way back in 2014. A fight that Marina won with a number from her back, so take what you will from that. Uh, momentum in this one seems to be on Silva's side. Uh, she comes into the fight riding a 7-5 win streak, while Moroz is coming off a loss. That said, and discarding her prospect fight, there's quite a few things to like from Moroz here. She's the longer fighter with better accuracy and volume and has responsible top control and Silva has not been impossible to take down in her career and she has been held down too. Not long ago in her contender series fight, she won with the with the guillotine at last but first round a lot of top control by the Chinese girl that she was fighting. Silva has the power advantage and is the more dangerous submission threat but Moroz is not slouch as a submission artist and she has more experience against high-level opposition fighting in the UFC for quite a few years already. And she beat Silva once, so I'm going with the underdog here and picking Marina Moroz to win a decision. We stay at flyweight for our next bout. We have Andrea Lee versus Natalia Silva. So Andrea Lee, I would describe as a lumbering but powerful striker that fights at a, at a constant pace. Uh, high volume, fights behind the jab and kicks and looks to put combinations together when her opponents stand their ground. She does a good job of attacking all three levels and has solid fundamentals of footwork and head movement. Uh, she has a decent understanding of rhythm and can strike off slips and whips and that allows her to not be as predictable as you would think. Other than that, uh, one of her biggest flaws is the lack of uh, meaningful fates. Uh, her predictable tempo once she starts a combination. So yeah, she plays a little bit with the tempo, slipping this way and surprising you with the with the right hand or the, or the left hand. But once she starts a combination, you can tell she goes one, two, three, four. And the lack of feints also hurt her, can put her in the way of counters. Uh, she's physically strong, she's a solid wrestler and has good grappling fundamentals. She's a very well-rounded fighter. The takedown defense can get sketchy, uh, especially because she squared her hips during combos and stalls pretty tall, but she works super hard to get back to her feet. And on the other hand, we have Natalia Silva, athletic, bouncy, mobile. She likes to circle on the outside and fight behind a variety of kicks from both legs on all three levels, close distance with the one-two, uh, varying the timing and also doubling and tripling with the jab here and there to add variety. Good timing for counters, uh, dangerous with the left hook, and always counters in combination. That's a very good quality that she has. Even the sneaky uh, kicks to punctuate combos and double on sides to surprise with uh, jabbing to the left hook and more, more impressively like the left hook into the high kick, the right hike into the high kick. She can pressure, she can pressure decently well too, and her footwork is clean, uh, if a bit wide, moving in both directions. Uh, distance management with her feet and the lean back are the bread and butter of her defense. So she can be tagged with her hands down by layered attacks. We haven't seen a lot of that, but it is there. She's strong and solid in the clinch and defending takedowns. Uh, fight hard for underhooks and also works to disarm grips. And make sure to take angles and stuff the head when she's defending leg attacks. So very decent fundamentals there. She can be stout from top position though. Uh, she has sweeps and she has very heavy ground pound when she achieves top position. And watch out for 
wizard kicks and judo throws, that kind of stuff from the clinch from there. She hits them as reaction and she's pretty good with those. Uh, Lee is not only the toughest test yet for Silva in the UFC uh, because of her quality, but because she brings interesting questions to the table uh, for the Brazilian. Lee has power and her commitment to attack all three levels probably means she will punish Silva at one moment for so much circling, especially with the low kicks and also like her reliance to leaning back so the body is there for the taking. Uh, despite that, I think Silva still brings variety and power of her own to the table. Uh, add to that her more nuanced understanding of rhythm, greater speed, overall like better fight, uh, fight feel I would say, that's the, the thing Silva has over Andrea Lee. Andrea Lee very solid, a good athlete I would say, even if she looks a little bit slow with her, with her movement. I think she's a big hitter, she has like good fundamentals everywhere. Uh, maybe even more well-rounded than Natalia Silva, but Natalia Silva has that dynamism, that fight feel, that to know what to do to take over fights, and I think that's one thing that Andrea Lee has trouble with. Uh, I'm still expecting it to be a lot closer than some who are riding the Silva hype. <laughs> My, I'm included in that Silva hype, I like Natalia Silva a lot, uh, but I, I still gotta pick the Brazilian here. I'm picking Natalia Silva by decision. Next fight is at 185. Gerald Mirchard, GM3, fights Andre Petroski. Mirchard, Salpov, fights well with the 1 2, uh, very heavy left leg that he can throw to the body and to the leg. Despite having a somewhat plodding footwork, he moves well on the outside when he commits to that, and he can move opponents into shots. He did a lot of that in her, in her silver fight. Mostly relies on lean backs and slip to bait shots and has a good eye for them. But his defensive mechanic can fall apart during prolonged combos and can turn his back. Unless he remembers to pivot to reset exchanges and he has uh, made use of pivots very well at times but he's not very consistent with it. Uh, Mirchard is decent at surprising with takedowns uh, when moving opponents around the cage. Uh, he has very solid top control, can posture up for heavy ground pound. Excellent submission during transitions, especially the guillotine, and has good uh, back takes as well and very solid at finishing the rear naked choke. And on the other hand, we have Petrovsky, an athletic wrestler. Uh, on the feet, uh, limited southpaw, uh, but he flirts with uh, stance switches a lot. Has decent power, he likes to leap in with lead hooks or overhands. A powerful kicker, but doesn't really have the setup for his kicks. He's starting to integrate proactive head movement into his entries, but the head stays on the center line during exchanges. Especially when trying to counter, he just stays in the middle and tries to throw hard. He can change the overhand into the takedown attempts, that's a very good quality that he has. He has a very quick level change into the single leg too. Or can drive people into the fence and finish doubles there. Uh, very good chain wrestler he is. Once in the ground, he blends uh, wrestling rights with traditional BJJ positioning, a lot of options. Uh, so even when he can't control, he's never in a bad position. You can expect, oh, he's getting sweep here, he's losing position, but Petrovsky always manages his options super well. He always has a bailout beat with the wrist control, uh, taking the back, moving, circling. He's very good at not ending up, not, not ending up on bottom position. So interesting to see how he matches up here with Mirchard, that is a very good grappler. And the thing with Petrovsky is that when he fails to control, he always has option for mad returns, snapdowns, that kind of stuff. 
uh, he has a very strong front headlock series. That's also interesting because both guys are very good from there. So maybe they have the defense for those guillotines, the Darces, and that kind of stuff. And the submission finishes for Petrovsky could use some polish, but he's probably getting better at those. Uh, Mirashad, I would say, more dangerous at locking up a choke and putting you out. Uh, this is a good test for Petrovsky. Mirashad might be a step below him athletically, uh, but Mirashad is durable, he's conditioned, uh, he's skilled everywhere. Uh, Mirashad will probably have the striking advantage and should approach this fight mostly from that side if he wants to win. Uh, not only Petrovsky is a good offensive wrestler, but also very capable of defending and a good scrambler. Dangerous from headlock game, so you don't want really to put yourself out there shooting back takedowns on Petrovsky. Petrovsky can win this one from top position, but GM3 is never an easy customer from his back. I feel like this one is anyone's fight, but I gotta go with the more athletic, younger fighter here. Uh, Petrovsky's physicality can make up for the skill differential in some of their areas and uh, he's probably skilled and dangerous enough to at least compete in Mirashart in the striking, in the clinch, everywhere and I think the physicality is what will take over in this fight uh, My pick is Petrovsky by decision The next one is uh, Bantamweight bout the first of two uh, The Ultimate Fighter finals We have Cody Gibson versus Brad Katona here Cody Gibson, lanky and long striker from range, throws kicks and one-twos looking to draw offense from his opponent to counter or to set up bigger strikes or long combinations. Head movement can be lacking unless he's actively looking to use it, like when he remembers to use it. Uh, he's pretty good at moving his head, he has very good mechanics on his sleep, but sometimes during combinations the, the head can stay right on the center line. Uh, but one quality that he has is that he makes sure to take angles inside the pocket constantly and has also decent footwork at range, but sitting back and pressuring, so he has some versatility to his game. Good transitions from striking into clinches and takedown attempts. He, he's aggressive with strikes when he gets cage control, uh, boxing to the body, looking for, uh, for knees and elbows from the core ties. Um, Gibson is a competent wrestler, especially against the cage, mixing clinch trips and dropping for the legs. And he's a solid grappler and a scrambler. Has tremendous back control with the body triangle, heavy ground and pound, and all of that is aided by his length. He's a very lean big guy. He's not only tall, but he's pretty long. Despite all of his good qualities uh, grappling-wise, he has been wrestleable in the past. So that's one thing to look out for here. And has had controls scrambling from a more dominant position that don't allow him to easily create space with his long limbs. So, yeah, I mean, you can put him flat on his back. And the cardio from Gibson is good, but it's not stellar, so he, he can't get tired in high-paced fights. His opponent, Katona, a smothering wrestle boxer, very heavy on the front foot, looks to push his mans against Cage to begin the wrestling assault. Uh, he's a good chain wrestler, specializes in finishing the double against the cage and looks to work for rights as the opponent is looking to build up his space. So he has a good style to to attack like longer guys. Uh, he has no problem styling for long periods against the defense, so that's why everyone says like Katona is super boring, that's what they're talking about. Uh, but he can be also effective striking inside the clinch uh, when using his cage, cage control. 
Uh, Katona has pretty quick hands and decent pop. He likes short compact combinations, uh, has a solid left hook to the body, especially on the counter, so look out for that. Katona has been vulnerable to leg kicks because he's so heavy on the front foot, as I said earlier. And he lacks depth to his head movement, so he can be set up with combinations. Uh, but his ability to just tie for takedowns uh, gives him a safety blanket. Uh, the takedown defense for Katona has sur is surprisingly spotty for someone that is so strong as an offensive wrestler. But he's a good scrambler. But also, like he can be put flag on his back himself and made to lose time because he he's a guy that likes to take his time, like setting up sweeps or get ups. Uh, but also, like look out because he has a, a good guard. Uh, especially with the triangle and the armbar attacks, and he can use those to scramble if he's forced to play like BJJ. Gibson is the more damaging fighter of the two here, and he should look to inflict damage early. Katona being a controlling wrestler has a, a big chance of being bad news for Gibson, but we need to consider that Katona is relentless but also hasn't been great at controlling people flat on the ground. Uh, I think the mad returning nature of Katona's grappling approach uh, will allow Gibson to work some of his stuff, especially get back to his feet, generate space. Uh, still the fight is not free on the feet for Gibson, I would say. Katona is quick, can put good combos together when he wants to. Um, and the body shots, something to look out for, because as I said, we've seen Gibson get tired on fights. Katona will go to the body hard with that depth hook, so maybe he will get tired. But that said, I think Gibson does enough on the first two rounds, especially with the damage, scrambling. Uh, he has a more damaging style and we've seen better judging as of late that I'm, I cannot count on Katona winning a decision just based on control. So I'm picking Gibson by decision on this one. And the other final is a lightweight bout between Kurt Holobow and Austin Hubbard. So Kurt Holobow Long and heavy-handed boxer, uh, dangerous with the 1-2 at range, with tricky timing, he has good reach with it. Uh, he's at his best when he gets to pressure along the combinations against the cage. He's a good combination puncher with power and variety on both hands. He's a guy that can hook, uppercut, uh, straight shots, overhands. Uh, he, he attacks the body very well. Uh, Holobo is well-rounded, he has skills everywhere, but takedown defense has been a weak spot in the past. He has decent head movement and footwork, especially proactively, but he can be too content to just put up the high guard when he's put on the back foot, so look also look for that. Uh, Holobo is a good grappler with options from most positions, uh, with get-up sweeps and submissions, but he has been installed by solid top control in the bats, uh, because he needs time to, to set up the those get-ups, those sweeps. Uh, on the other hand, we have Austin Hubbard, uh, he's lanky, he's well-rounded, uh, mostly a switch stance striker. He likes to pot shot with long strike at distance to set up power shots, be it big kicks from long range or sneaky uppercuts and hook from up close. Uh, he can struggle when fighters match his length, especially with his defense. Uh, he's used to be the longer guy. Uh, Hover works the body well with front kicks, stepping knees, also has a mean hook, uh, left hook to the body. Uh, especially against the cage, he can be very punishing, both guys actually. 
Uh, Hover is a decent wrestler, can time entries well from open space, and has some versatility to his finishes, especially tripping the legs, dragging down guys. Uh, he's a capable grappler from all positions. Uh, Hover has solid top control, works well from the bottom to get back to his feet, and can scramble well enough during transitions as well. Uh, he likes to fight at a steady pace, has good conditioning that allows him to like build up on his success as the fight goes on. Uh, Hover mainly struggles when he's not allowed to set his rhythm and his physicality and his power are kind of average for the division. He's not a, like an outstanding athlete. Um, as far as top finals go, I'm pretty okay with this one. This one is a good one. Not only I think both guys are exciting fighters most of the time, but I think they're good fighters, man, that can put on good fights at 155. I think they have tough luck on their fists first run on the UFC, hopefully they, they come back better. I'm hoping that they sign both guys, to be honest. Uh, Holobo is the heavier puncher and probably the better boxer here, but Hover has more variety, especially with the knees and the kicks. Any of the two might surprise with takedowns, and both are capable of scrambling back to their feet, so I'm not sure how the grappling will go. They seem pretty well matched. Uh, this is a very well-matched fight, but I gotta go with the more athletic and dangerous Holobow. So I'm picking Holobow by decision. We're back at 185. We have Gregory Rodriguez, Hovokop, and he's fighting Dennis Tullulian. So Rodriguez, uh, a stiff but powerful striker, stays disciplined with his combinations and keeps an aggressive pace. His movement can be worrisome in the pocket, but he stays tight with his guard and his punching form and he keeps throwing back, and that works as a safety net surprisingly well. Uh, Robocop has good cardio, but his pace can get it out of hands during wars, and he gets into a lot of wars. Uh, he concedes long exchanges instead of slowing down the pace with other tools that we mentioned now. Uh, he's a decent wrestler, both inside the clinch with throws, but also shooting in open space when he needs to. And he's a dominant grappler from top position, both with the ground about and submission to seal the fight. Uh, the biggest weakness for Robocop are the lapses of bad defense that he has, especially not moving his head when backing up or inside the pocket. And he's also like predictable, despite having like a very broad skill set. Uh, he's he gets predictable. He has a broad skill set, but he's uh, kind of a minimalist with his selection of tools. Uh, he usually gets hurt by shots that he doesn't see coming. And, and that happens like a concerning amount. And his opponent here is Tulin. Uh, Tulin mostly marches forward, throwing consistent, steady volume with big power. Single shot with both punches and kicks until he closes distance to fire combinations, mostly against the cage. Uh, good counter right in the pocket, but doesn't move his head a lot. So he, he will be there for, for being hit. Durability, physical strength, and aggressiveness in the clinch are also heavy hips, uh, defending takedowns, all of that like complement his pressuring game. Uh, his defense is not very layered, and he can be susceptible to being jabbed or set up with feints. His takedown defense is also not as good past the first layer. As I said, he has like a good pro, he has heavy hips. He can position himself well, but uh, Shane wrestlers can take advantage of his lack of like more nuanced wrestling and can take him down. And he works. He he looks to work his way back to his feet, especially during the initial scramble. But good top control grapplers can neutralize him, put him back 
flat on his back and then he's not much of a grappler a lot there. Uh, this is an interesting fight that will at the very least deliver action. Tululin's best chances will be in generating exchanges trying to tack Robocop moving backwards. Both guys carry big power but the Russian here seems to be more durable of the two and the, of the more comfortable in the pocket. On the other hand we have Robocop who has a jab to frustrate Tululin, especially the pressure and Robocop will probably have a big grappling advantage on this one. It's a dangerous fight for the Brazilian but I think he's the more skilled fighter with more options uh, despite some questionable moments regarding his chin. Uh, despite that he has thriving wars so and against higher level of opposition too. I gotta go with Robocop getting the submission on round two. We stay at middleweight for a feature bout of the prelims. It's about between veterans. We have Chris Whiteman, former champion versus Brad Tavares here. Chris Whiteman, the former champion has clearly seen better days, man. A lot of his athletic attributes have looked very diminished in his spare appearance in the octagon these last few years. Uh, most notably his physicality as a wrestler, uh, also his durability, his conditioning, all of which were like outstanding during his prime are looking like not there anymore. Like not terrible but not prime Whiteman, like it's very noticeable, the dedicator. Uh, Whiteman still has a few redeemable attributes though, he's still a smart fighter that has an idea of leading with the jab and kicks to draw reactions and counter but his power and reflexes stand in the way of him taking over fights on the field with the pressure like he used to do in the past, like performances against Machida and the like. Uh, the thing with Wyman is that he's still a brilliant technical grappler when he gets to top position. Solid control, passes, threatens with both ground and pound and submission attempts. He's a tremendous MMA grappler from top. And on the other hand we have Tavares. Uh, I always describe Tavares as a meat and potatoes uh, veteran uh, who has solidified himself excuse me, as a reliable striker with solid takedown defense. He doesn't fight with a high pace but he feeds his opponent uh, a steady diet of jab and low kicks looking to set up combinations and bigger strikes. Uh, bigger strikes like body kicks, big right hands. He does most of his best work on the lead, but he's a pretty capable counterpuncher. Uh, decent defensive fundamentals in all areas. He can move his head uh, and his feet decently enough, but he can be vulnerable during exchanges, especially when he's not dictating them. Uh, the lack of variety and nuance can also make him predictable, so look out for counters here. Uh, Tabaris, the thing is that he's a great defensive wrestler. Uh, fights for underhooks and angles at every takedown attempt and when he gets surprises he's good at not staying flat, stuffing the head, working his way up, wall walking, all that kind of stuff. Tabar is very good at it. Uh, historically his biggest problem has been taking over fights. Uh, he's like very skilled everywhere, he has good fundamentals, uh, but he doesn't put on the pace or or also doesn't build on his offense enough to pull away on competitive fights. And now you got a factor that he's losing a step in athleticism and durability. So, so yeah. Oh, Wildman just doesn't look like himself. Um, and it's not even just like uh, the fragility and a slow of reaction things like 
we've seen with many former great fighters like Jose Aldo for example but it seems like he has lost a step in potency and overall physicality and that plays straight into Tavares. Tavares is no spring chicken himself but we've seen solid performances from him uh, not long ago and defending takedowns have always been a strong suit from him. In a weird case of MMA math that might work we could see both of their fights against Omar Akhmedov in which Whiteman had trouble putting uh, Akhmedov with his single leg takedown even even himself, Whiteman being taken down with a single leg, so that was a bit concerning. And Tavares looked super strong defending the takedown attempts of Akhmedov, in, including the single leg takedown. Uh, if Whiteman manages to get on top, he can win this one for sure, because he still looks to be crafty, flexible and dangerous in like a pure grappling situation. But I don't know, I gotta pick Tavares to win like kickboxing a kickboxing match on this one. Tavares by decision is my final pick. Before moving to the main card, I want to thank our sponsor X Marshall. X Marshall is a combat sport brand dedicated to supporting the Jiu Jitsu community. Their goal is to create a fun training environment with unique and exciting designs and promote the gym culture we all love. X Marshall offers a range of products including rash guards, shorts, spats, keys, streetwear and training equipment. Use code the fight side to get a 10% discount on your order now. That's the fight side. All upper cases, no spaces. You know how code works. Codes work. Messing up the sponsor shout out. <laughs> and for the best deals and discounts, sign up to their mailing list and follow their socials at XMarshallOfficial. So thank you, XMarshall. And we get back to the main card. And we find ourselves on the main card. And our first bout is at Bantamweight. Marlon Chito Vera takes on Pedro Munoz. Uh, so first Chito. Chito is a hard fighter to analyze as he has used very different styles throughout his career. Uh, once an active kicker at range who would make his best work with a damaging and draining clinch assault, he has adopted um, an almost purely counter-puncher approach to his last few fights. And while that style worked wonders against Rob Font and Dominic Cruz, the obvious downsides of it were obvious in his lackluster performance against Corey Sanhagen. You would expect Shiro to show more urgency on this one, but you never know, man. If he were to mix his active and aggressive kicking with his clinch and his newfound confidence in his counter-punching, uh, Vera could be a top-tier fighter, and he's not very far from that right now. The question remains if he can put it together, really. And Munoz, on the other hand, uh, Munoz operates effectively with a minimalist toolset on the feet. Jab, low kick, front kick, looking to either pressure his opponent to the cage or counter with his big right hand or heavy left hook. His ability to use calf kicks to counter both jabs and opposing kicks allow him to compete with longer fires at range that you would expect. And his solid pressure in footwork and counter punching abilities means uh, he can adapt to fighters looking to outfight him or get close to him. He has been hittable, especially upstairs, uh, but a mix of like fierce layer head movement, high guard and good eyes have made me very hard to hurt throughout the years despite the, the availability of his head. <laughs> Basically impenetrable takedown defense and an elite guillotine have made the task of taking him down a very risky proposition. He's a solid offensive wrestler too, and his PJJ can also shine from top position. His entries are clean, but he can lack setups for his takedowns, especially if forced to shoot from long distance. 
The biggest weakness for Pedro has been like effective feinting and jabbing that put, put him off his countering game because he lacks the variety with his leg kick setups to use them effectively without the boxing. This one is a very hard to predict. Uh, you can never know with Chido, man. I think even with his counterpunching style, uh, he will still have a decent shot here. He has tricky timing, he can counter with combinations, and he uses his length pretty well. Shito might be the longer fighter here, but if he engages like in a pure leg-kicking war with Munoz, he might lose it, as Pedro is effective at checking kicks and countering with his own leg attacks. Takedown defense also a concern, especially early in fights, because Shito, the takedown defense gets better as the fight goes on, he likes to get his wrist going on. So look out for Pedro diving on the legs early and often. That said, and despite all of the incognitos, I just feel like it's not far-fetched to expect Shido to show more variety and volume here. And if he does, I think he has a good chance at winning this fight, as Pedro is losing a step. Um, the longer the fight goes, the better Shido gets, uh, because he has the reads, uh, the power, the volume, everything gets better uh, uh, in a Shido fight as he goes on. And Pedro's limitations start to show when fights go on. Uh, he is very well conditioned, he can adjust, but the, the minimalist tool set comes back to bite him on the ass, I think, sometimes. I'm picking Chito Vera by decision. I wanted you guys to excuse me for all the drilling in the previews of fight analysis. Uh, hopefully it stopped already, but nothing I can do about it. The, the podcast is already super late, so I cannot delay it anymore. So I'm sorry about that. Uh, the next one will be better quality-wise. We stay at bottom weight as Mario Bautista fights Damon Blackshear here. So Bautista, aggressive, well-rounded, long, strong, he looks to fight either at range or close distance, all the way to the clinch. From long distance he throws hard leg kicks and jabs that allow him to set up bigger strikes from both sides to all levels. Solid defense, especially when pressuring. Of notice his ability to pivot off slips. His tall stance has been exploitable by overhands and wide hooks in the past though, so watch out for that. He can close distance behind combinations, a very dangerous flying knee that she has, or shooting takedowns. He's strong in the clinch, very good at fighting elbows and knees from a variety of grips and can adapt the cage control if he's allowed to. He's reversible in the, uh, in the cage, but he's very urgent about pummeling and pivoting to not spend too much time against the cage. He has been becoming an increasingly good wrestler, strong dragging people down from body locks or swimming to the back in the clinch. Uh, he has big ground and pound. Uh, he's good at finishing the rear naked choke. So he's becoming a, a dangerous threat everywhere, man. Uh, the thing with Bautista is that he can be vulnerable to takedowns and losing his scrambles, especially when he's rushing uh, his takedowns finishes, but he works very hard to get back to his feet. And his opponent is Blackshear, uh, also very big for the weight class, powerful kicker and puncher, and not very technical when Closing distance, uh, a lot of like sloppy switches and bomb rushes, that kind of stuff. But he's pretty decent on the counter. Uh, big right hand on the counter. He mostly scores with low kicks at open space and looks uh, for the opponent to close distance to let the big right hand on the counter, as I said. Strong in the clinch, where he looks to, to land elbows and knees. Uh, and he uses his big frame to his advantage there. 
He likes to drop down for doubles and singles against the cage and that's where he finishes most of his takedowns. Uh, he's very good on top. Uh, big ground and pound, good control. Uh, he uses his length to his advantage, uh, especially to attack post and gets risk uh, very dominant risk control. He's good at taking the back during scrambles and he looks to generate space and get a back up immediately when he's put on his back. Uh, of note here is that Blackshirt takes this fight with only a week of notice. He just fought last Saturday. And that's something to consider because he'll be cutting weight twice. I think this fight is at 135, so he's making a full uh, weight cut again. And he's a big dude for the weight class, man. Uh, I don't know, man. That's that's rough. Uh, if we look in, if we look past that, this is an interesting fight. Both guys are big, long, and athletic, and we have to deal with someone that is of similar like proportions and abilities. I think I trust Bautista, uh, his approach of all the way in, all the way out, more against a guy that is like his size here. But he, he really needs to be careful with the right hand of Blackshear, especially when closing distance. The grappling also seems pretty close. I think Bautista probably the better wrestler and more fundamentally sound PJJ player. But Blackshear is dynamic, he's funky and he can surprise with some unorthodox techniques as we saw with the Twister last week. I think overall Bautista is the better fighter and the short notice just like makes me side with him like I cannot pick Blackshear here uh, picking Bautista by decision. Next bout is contested at 170, it's a welterweight fight between Neil Magny and Ian Machado Gary. Uh, we'll try to not talk about Neil Magny talking about beating his kids, so let's get into Magny. Super lanky, fights at a high pace, long behind the jab, moves well on the outside. He's good at landing straight shots at opponents backing up from range and he has a good variety of kicks. Uh, Magni, the thing is that he frustrates people into closing distance regularly with his length and his output and then he grabs clinches from there. Uh, clinching, is, clinching is his A game, he drowns opponents in there and he's good at landing knees and small punches, mixing up color ties and overhooks, makes use uh, good use of his long levers and he's usually comfortable from 50-50 positions on the clinch mostly because he almost always enjoys uh, a length advantage. Uh, the biggest weaknesses for Magni have been low kicks, uh, he stays very heavy on his front foot looking to jab, uh, power punchers who approach him in length parity can also make him very uncomfortable and top control grapplers have been able to submit him in the past. Especially if they can get past uh, the takedown defense that is pretty solid. Uh, on the other hand, we have Gary, a rangy outfighter with a decent jab, fast and clean one-twos, chambered kicks with little wind-up, and the threat of knees allowed him to dissuade the head movements of his opponents to set up the one-two and the high kick. Uh, the defense mostly uh, revolves around managing distance, but he has improved his ability to move his head especially out of the first punch and come back with shots and now can counter with both the right hand and the left hook. Uh, mostly a right hand counter in the past. He maintains a good pace and usually gets more output uh, once he gets his reads on so he gets better as the fight goes on usually. Uh, solid defensive wrestling against the cage. Uh, he's, it, it is pretty hard to shoot clean on him because of the range that he maintains. He's very good at managing distance. Uh, he looks to be pretty strong in the clinch and can use it as a he can use the clinch as a defensive blanket 
and also has shown improved awareness of not getting control against the cage. Uh, the thing with Gary is that uh, despite like looking to have like good footwork, he has been pretty easy to uh, pressure to the cage in the past. So look out for that. Uh, he's also like being vulnerable to body attacks when he gets here against the fence because he starts moving. He has a long torso. He's there for the taking. Uh, the head movement in the pocket uh, past the first shot is concerning and also sometimes closes distance like super aggressively with his head on the center and he has been rocked quite a lot quite a few times like that so the obvious question here is can Gary avenge Neil Magny's children no 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 the question is can Gary stay out of the clinch because that seems like the only reliable winning condition for Magny and even though you never know uh, like We've seen people that look somewhat smart and they've had Magni and spent the whole fight in the clinch. I'm looking at you, Neil. Uh, I think the answer is probably yes. Uh, can Gary stay out the clinch? I would say yes. Uh, Gary being somewhat as long as Magni will do wonders for him in this one because he will be able to strike with him without crossing the, the jab barrier that Magni puts on shorter fighters. Gary is also the more powerful striker here. He's a better athlete. Um, most importantly, he has shown to be a very coachable guy who will commit to the game plan. So, unless like Henry Hoof tells him like, oh, just, just, just go and engage Magni in the clinch, I think uh, Gary will stay disciplined here. There are some avenues for Magni. Uh, Gary likes his defensive clinches a lot, as I said, and will probably resort to them more often than usual because he's fighting someone that is equally strong. And also, it's the first time that Gary will will have to deal with a long jab in his UFC tenure. Not unwinnable for Magni, but I think Gary by decision is like the safe pick here. And it's time for the co-main event. The strawweight title is on the line as Zhang Weili defends against Amanda Lemos. So Weili, super athletic and well-rounded, bouncy footwork and in-and-out movement. Depends on timing to make like her predetermined combos work. She's very fast and powerful, but her non-ideal punching mechanics in combination mean she doesn't connect as hard as she should and also leave her open for counters sometimes. Despite uh, being a bit mechanical in her approach, uh, she seems to be smart tactically and looks for adjustments and she's very good at repeating what's working in a fight. Her physical strength shows in the clinch, and he has been shown to be very dangerous with knees and elbows in the past. The thing with Weili is that she has shown big, big improvements in her wrestling. Um, that's over, obviously complemented by her physically strength, physical strength that is very big. And it looks like she has patched some of her deficiencies from her back with a more like wrestling approach to her scrambling more than, more than a BJJ one. Uh, Whaley still has lapses in her technique in all areas despite the weak improvements. And she has looked vulnerable both in striking and grappling against fellow athletes especially. Uh, look at the Rose Namajunas fight, the Tisha Torres fight. Like when Whaley is the, the better athlete for a big margin, he can take over fights. But against like someone more comparable, uh, her well-roundness lacks the depth to take over fights. Uh, she needs uh, like the big like physical or technical advantage in one area to take f to take over fights. 
Um, and that's interesting because on the other hand we have Lemos, a powerful athlete that fights from a tall stance. Uh, Lemos mostly looks to pick her spots uh, fainting, trying to find openings for her heavy and fast kicks, especially low kicks, very damaging, and she has a piston of a jab, man. Uh, very solid defending single shots, uh, very good eyes, she can slide out of the way of punches and kicks and can also slip or lean back from incoming strikes. Her solid form allows her to stay in range for counters and even though she can throw a bit wide she has good timing and power with her counters and it's good at uh, taking the opportunities at countering in combination, usually closing the door with the left, with the left hand or kicking a retreating opponent in the leg. She does have a tendency to overswing sometimes, especially when she gets frustrated by jabs or like she misses her tempo and that can leave her exposed, so watch out for that. And also like when she starts missing she can spend too much energy. Uh, Lemos is very strong in the clinch herself, uh, she has very good form with, with her knees, uh, she looks for strikes on the brakes and has a few tricks in the form of like trips and foot sweeps, so watch out for that too. Takedown defense for Lemos is solid, but she can be susceptible uh, for attacks in transitions, both in the form of strikes and takedowns. So she's like a fighter that gets set in a certain f a certain phase and can be surprised when you, you change the things up with her. Uh, the physicality and good fundamentals allow her to work her way back to her feet, but she might be neutralized and put uh, flat on her back because she mostly relies on that initial scramble explosion. Uh, Lemos has a very strong guillotine but she relies a little bit too much on it I would say. I think Lemos on this one has a bigger advantage on the feet than what people are expecting uh, and her being, a, uh, being very good at gauging distance might be troublesome for someone with the like the in and out movements of Wei Li so look for Lemos to counter big when Wei Li tries to close the distance. Uh, Wei Li obviously is still powerful herself and fast but uh, Lemos has dealt with fellow athletes in the past like just fine. If you see like she was doing fine against Andrade, against Marina Rodriguez. So this one might come to the wrestling and the ability of Zhang Wei Li to fight in transitions. As I said Lemos can can get like too keen on certain areas and can be taken down or struck hard as a consequence of it. The last factor that makes me side with Zhang Weili here is her gas tank. Uh, she's able to push like incredibly hard. Uh, despite having a very physical style, she's able to like fight super hard for 25 minutes. We've seen that in the past. Uh, Lemos has a good, a good gas tank for the style that she fights with, but she will get tired. She doesn't have that freak gas tank. Uh, especially because she fights also like with so big actions, big explosions. Uh, Lemos does have a surprisingly good ability to fight tired though. Um, Lemos can win, can win this one not only by like knockout or guillotine, but even by decision, especially if he gets like big damage going on early. But I think I gotta side with uh, the cardio and the active well roundness of Zhang Weili to win a decision here. And we're finally at the main event. It's a fight between Andrew Tate, uh, friend number one, and Andrew Tate, fan number two. <laughs> it's Aljamain Sterling defending his title against Sugar Chan O'Malley. Let's begin with Sterling. Uh, Sterling is like an annoying long striker who either pokes from distance with a variety of kicks and one-twos, 
or pressures aggressively with those same tools, adding knees and forcing clinches, shooting for takedowns to create exchanges and transitions. Uh, Aljo has decent cagecraft and, ha and has good eyes, and that means that he's hard to hurt. But he has like clear deficiencies on his head movement and his footwork, uh, especially in the mechanics I'm talking about here. And that leaves him out of position fairly often. He remedies this partly with his ability to shoot for takedowns and clinches uh, with great variety and timing and he can start like just working from there so that's a big safety blanket that he has. He's also a decent uh, kick catcher and that complements his wrestling game super well. Uh, once he gets like to a clinch or to the legs, he's a suffocating chain wrestler with a lot of options. Uh, very very good against the cage. Uh, she has um, he has like clinch trips, double legs, uh, the traditional single leg, high crush, trips from the single leg, he can drop down for a low single, he's very versatile, and uh, he's a strong chain wrestler, as I said. Uh, he's at his most dangerous when he gets to the back, uh, and he can do so swimming there from the wrestling positions or abusing the get-ups from his opponents. Uh, he has a very strong body triangle, he can maintain the backpack in most scenarios, even if you stand back, even if you go to your back, if, he, if he's in back mount, he's super solid at uh, maintaining that position and he can land super heavy ground pound from there and he's very good finisher of the rear naked choke. Other than the problems with his defensive mechanics, he has had trouble maintaining the, p the pace during long fights, especially when he, he pressures hard early. We've seen him fade hard in the past. And the problem when he tires is that he can start shooting like bad takedowns and that drains his cardio even more uh, when he starts feeling threatened. And his opponent O'Malley, lanky striker, super fast hands. Uh, the one too is the money shoot for O'Malley, has a lot of versatility with it. Uh, simply by playing with the timing and his distance, especially adjusting his distance, his distance with the jab before landing the right hand, he can surprise people a lot with his length, but also like sneaking that left foot to get more reach on the on the right hand. And he can also like throw the the two like completely straight, or with a slight loop to catch opponents over the shoulder. Uh, O'Malley likes to move on the outside and play with timing and misdirections. But he makes his best work on the lead. Like he likes to move on the outside, but he 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 likes having the initiative and he he likes to snipe on the lead. He's not that much of a counter puncher. Uh, because uh, the thing with O'Malley is that he's very good at making reads and setting up his opponent. Uh, O'Malley has big and quick kicks at distance, and he uh, switches stances a lot, and. A lot of fading and proving shots uh, end up rounding up his striking game to make him a very dangerous striker. Uh, the awareness and cagecraft for, for O'Malley have improved in the later years, but his striking still is a lot less dangerous when he's moving backwards uh, because he likes the initiative to be an effective counterpuncher and he likes to have his feet set to deliver power when he's leaving. Uh, O'Malley is decently strong in the clinch and likes to look for wrist control or collar ties to quickly pivot and disengage and his length allows him to surprise foes with big and long punches during breaks. O'Malley is quick to sprawl or fit the single leg and lift leg in reaction to takedowns but he can be surprised with shots during transitions, that's how Pierre Jan took him down mostly during their fight. 
Uh, O'Malley possesses a good guard using butterfly hooks to elevate or push the hips. And then he likes to like frame on the shoulder or on the head, play his hips using uh, looking to get up. Or he also likes to like get in like close guard and use classic guard attacks like arm bars and triangles to generate space. And then he looks to turtle a lot. Uh, O'Malley also likes to use the switch as a defense for takedowns. And even when he's not successful with that switch, uh, he uses the space that he generates from there. And he's good at wall walking as well. O'Malley seems to be very confident in his ability to get up from the turtle. Uh, the main weaknesses for O'Malley have been uh, the diminished effectiveness of his offense when he's being pressured, as I said already. Uh, his defense inside the pocket, he has... Uh, good uh, head movement when he's leading the dance but then he can get into messy exchanges and he can be surprised and the leg kicks the leg kicks have been there for a lot of fighters uh, he's getting better at countering and checking but he still he still stands like super f heavy on the uh, on the front foot because he's all about the one two and takedowns during transitions as I said are also a weakness for O'Malley this is an interesting fight uh, O'Malley looks to have a sizable advantage on the feet, uh, has shown to be a decent grappling, uh, grappler, um, excuse me, uh, showing some of the classics of the MMA grappling that MMA lab often have in their arsenals. O'Malley is also longer than Aljo, and that's an oddity at the weight class because Sterling has like abnormally long reach and legs for his height. O'Malley being good at setting up opponents and doing damage on the lead could be troublesome against someone with like very big reactions and who makes like some mistakes as I said like turning his back or his feet like Aljo. Uh, but at the same time if Sterling like chooses to pressure hard off the, off the gate here uh, we've seen O'Malley lose effectiveness as I've said a lot of times already. Uh, he needs to be careful during breaks uh, because every time like O'Malley gets space He's very willing to take his opportunities, land big strikes, and then once he has landed the big strikes, he regains initiative with his feints. So look out for that. So at the end of the day, this fight comes down to the grappling question. Uh, O'Malley, as I already said, is a capable grappler and wrestler, and and you don't need to be as good as someone to defend, to only defend if you are not looking to like out grappler just to get back to his feet, neutralize. You don't need to be that good. But I feel like the grappling style matches up poorly with with Sterling. Uh, as I said, O'Malley relies a lot on showing his back to his opponent, basically in every phase. Uh, fighting grips on the clinch, hitting switches during the get-ups, looking to turtle from the guard, all involve uh, showing a little bit of back or or cons or fully like giving up your back. And Sterling is especially well equipped to punish those habits. It might not be as easy to get to those positions for Sterling. Uh, and Sterling probably will see like scary moments. Might even lose um, if O'Malley gets going and can like deny the, any effective entries from Sterling. But to be honest, to pick O'Malley, I would have to see that first. Uh, going for, for what I've seen, I think O'Malley has a better shot than some other analysts uh, in my sphere are giving him. But... The pick here is Sterling by submission in round number four, probably taking the back. And that's it for all the fights. Uh, a recount for what fights are good here, recommendations. 
Uh, Andrea Lee versus Natalia Silva is going to be a good fight. I'm highly recommending that one. And Mirchard versus Petrovsky is probably going to have a lot of fun uh, grappling. And the striking will be exciting too, probably. Uh, both Ultimate Fighters uh, finals are pretty decent. Uh, Katona might be able to get a boring fight out of Cody Gibson. Uh, but Kurt Holoba versus Austin Hobart is a very good fight. Excited for that one. Uh, Rodriguez versus Tulliulin, if you want to see like dumb action. Uh, Chito Vera versus Pedro Munoz may be the fight that um, most attracts me here. Um, um, both title fights, very good fights, very good fights. Uh, despite how you feel about the weight classes or the people involved, I think they are interesting matchups that will give us like interesting answers. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's that's the whole pay-per-view. Just listen to it. Finally, guys, I'm sorry I'm so late, but there you have it. Uh, all the fights, analysis for all the fights, that's what I do, guys. Remember to check out the the guide to the prelims. It's obviously not as nuanced as this, but every, every, every piece of support is greatly appreciated. And if you can drop a buck my way on Patreon, I would be always grateful for you. Uh, probably we, I'm probably going to set up a goal or something on Patreon. Uh, we're losing a, a bit of money and I wish we were doing a bit better. But yeah, I mean, I'm putting on a lot of work to give you guys content. Uh, and, I, and I just hope you guys are enjoying it. Always remember, you can, you can reach out to me on Twitter or Discord and we can chat about fights. You can give me suggestions for new content. I'm always up uh, for any ideas you guys have. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you guys maybe on Twitter tomorrow. Uh, leave tweeting the fights or just chat to me, whatever. See you guys in the next one.